0: Can Opportunity Zones be leveraged for historic renovation projects? And how does the combination of historic tax credits and the Opportunity Zone incentive improve investment returns? Find out next. how can historic renovation and historic tax credits be combined with opportunity zones to create compelling properties and compelling real estate investment returns? That's the topic of today's discussion that I'll be having with my guest, John Blatchford. John is owner and founder of KUNST and joins us today from Cincinnati, Ohio. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. John, we're going to talk a lot today about opportunity zones throughout the course of the episode of course but first can you just tell our listeners and me a bit about Kunst in general can you give us a little bit of background and tell us what do you guys do exactly
1: Yeah so a company is Kunst I started it in 2015 we buy vacant historic buildings here in Cincinnati that are basically bombed out from 40 years of neglect and we completely renovate them turn them into hopefully beautiful apartment buildings and then we rent them out. And over time we've kind of learned and added on this tax credit component, uh, historic tax credits, which we've used on every project, something like 7 million in credits across 20 some projects. And then now in the last couple of years, uh, adding in opportunity zones as well uh, to kind of, you know, make the projects even better.
0: Good. And for your, Properties, in particular, your opportunity zone properties, but really just all your properties. Who are your investors typically, and what do they like specifically about your real estate investment strategy of redeveloping these historic properties?
1: Yeah, so our investment group so far, so we've worked with about thirty investors with about three million in capital raised. So, uh, you know, relatively, certainly in the the global or national real estate world, small amount of money per investor. Uh, right now, our minimum is fifty thousand dollars. So the profile I think is typically people who made their money outside of real estate. They were successful in some other path, started their own business, had good careers, and you know have some savings and want to kind of invest in real estate. And they might have a few other real estate investments. You know, certainly probably own their own home and stuff like that. But they're trying to get kind of more into real estate and view it as a good place to be putting their money, and certainly in kind of a medium long term, relatively safe way that real estate is. So, so yeah, we do have a mix probably to some degree of like people that are truly just looking for a long-term passive income and the people that are more annual return oriented, maybe a little more like shorter term trying to get a multiple on their capital. But typically we're certainly medium to long-term investors looking for a passive income and just a return on their, their capital.
0: Right. And opportunities on investing is definitely medium term, at least a long-term because of the 10-year hold that is required to take advantage of all of the tax benefits. Why did you start investing in Opportunity Zones specifically? And I guess before you answer that question, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the history of your firm. I know you were founded in 2015. Opportunity Zones didn't really start rolling out until middle of 2018 at the earliest. When did you first take note of the program? When did you first start investing in Opportunity Zone property specifically and why?
1: Yeah, our first three buildings, we did use the historic tax credits, property tax abatements, some local incentives. But it was really our fourth building that we learned about the Opportunity Zone program and started investing you know, as an Opportunity Zone. And that really came from an investor actually from New York, who was our largest investor at the time, still is one of our largest investors. And he was primarily interested to invest with us and invest in, in our neighborhood here in Cincinnati, Ohio, because of the Opportunity Zone. He He's mostly involved in the stock world. So a lot of his net worth is can come from Capital gains or does. So he was very interested in the Opportunity Zone. He had actually educated me a lot on it. We did one project, which actually we finished and now is renting out for the last couple months. That was our first kind of OZ project, Opportunity Zone. And now every project since then is Opportunity Zone as well. So we're fortunate in a way because this neighborhood that we're in over the Rhine in Cincinnati is pretty much entirely an Opportunity Zone. And so all the projects we're doing now kind of are already included and we just have to all the regulations and make them a part of an opportunity zone investment.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I would imagine that uh, you were probably doing entirely opportunity zone investment or almost entirely opportunity zone investment since 2015, anyway, just based on the neighborhoods that you're located in. And it's also really interesting that one of your investors educated you on opportunity zones early on because it usually works the other way around, where the fund sponsor has to educate the investors on the Tax incentive. What have you found in terms of that educational component? Because it's such a new program, a new tax incentive, oftentimes the biggest hurdle I have found, at least, is that educational component, getting people up to speed with what Opportunity Zones are, why you should care, why it can be a really great deal for investors. What have you found in your experience talking with your investors about Opportunity Zone investing? What's been some of the feedback you've gotten or some of the pushback? I'm curious to hear some stories that you might have on that.
1: I never quite expected to be professionally involved in kind of the tax world, <laughs> which is what this is, like how to avoid capital gains, tax, and different hold periods and all that, how we're investing the money. So yeah, I've definitely been first educating myself, and I'm grateful for kind of that experience and learned from the first project, and then in turn educating other people, investors and potential investors. I guess what I found is that, so we have a fund now, and we are often having to educate people on what the opportunity zone is, and a lot of the investors can't really take advantage of it. or or aren't interested to, and that's actually okay in, in the fund model. They can invest money that has no opportunity zone implication. And of course you check with cpa and qualified people but the good thing about it that in our current fund probably half the investors are taking advantage of the opportunities and half aren't and so that works fine for us and when we educate to the degree it makes sense but also it's a benefit to the investors and if they don't have capital gains and they're excited about the projects without that then that's just as well and i've seen this before of like people will discount projects or be willing to pay more for them because they're in an opportunity zone and there's the obvious tax benefits i think for us i just underwrite the project the same way it has to be a good project. The historic tax credits have to be there no matter what. That's really the model, and then the opportunity zone is the additional benefit, which you know is going to add maybe you know a couple of points in return to the investors, and it's kind of up to them to take advantage of it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting for you for your model. It's just the cherry on top. You've already been in this area and already utilizing historic tax credits for five, six years or so, and then yeah, the opportunity zones really just boosts those numbers just a little bit more. And interesting that I think you said only about half of your investors are taking advantage of it. Certainly non-capital gains money can flow into a qualified opportunity fund. It's not subject to any of the tax benefits that Opportunity Zone investing can benefit an investor, but it's available to them if they just like the project in and of itself. So that's really interesting. Yeah. And
1: I think what's nice too, I think about the program is it's an interesting time with kind of the the fed printing so much money and asset values going up by a lot and crypto going up by a lot like there there are a lot of capital gains out there and so i think the main thing it's helped is that money outside of ohio is coming here because you know it's an urban environment we've hopefully proven out a, a good solid model oh and also they have all these gains that they can now invest in real estate and and get a kind of an initial or automatic tax benefit so yeah i think that's been the main sort of positive effect is it's brought a lot of money from outside of Ohio, including kind of the East and West Coast, just from people with large capital gains. But then we also have plenty of local investors and even investors outside of Ohio that just don't really have those capital gains and just want to invest in these projects independent of the opportunity zone.
0: Yeah, that's great to hear too, because I think that was really one of the main drivers of the program was that Congress was trying to figure out a way that they can unlock a lot of untapped or unrecognized capital gains that were kind of just sitting on the sidelines, largely in the hands of wealthy investors on the coasts. How could we distribute that throughout the country to these low-income communities? And there were a lot of capital gains sitting on the sidelines as of the end of 2017 when the legislation was passed. And We had a big dip in the stock market, obviously, in early 2020 due to the pandemic. But since then, everything, the stock market at least, and crypto, as you note, has roared back. And those capital gains, the amount of unrealized capital gains sitting on balance sheets all over the country has only had to increase pretty substantially, I would think, over the last few years since the legislation was passed. So it's good to hear. You tell us the story that it is working to unlock some of that capital, at least in in the case of your fund. I want to ask you about your fund now. How is it structured exactly? Is it a multi asset fund, or do you have one fund for every property? I'm curious to hear a little bit more about how you are structured and and what your pipeline looks like for deals going forward.
1: Yeah, so over the first four or five years, we did kind of the syndication model: find a property, go out to investors, raise the money and then do the project and that worked well. And I think a lot of people will build a business out of that. I think for me, we switched to a fund model at the beginning of the year. I kind of just want to pull a lot of resources together, have a bunch of different investors, including people that can take advantage of the Opportunity Zone and not get that money together and then know exactly sort of the funds we have available to do a project and then go forward on the whole process of acquiring the building and tax credits and all that. So, so yeah, so we have the the Opportunity Zone Fund, Qualified, you know, Opportunity Fund, which we launched at the beginning of the year. And it's kind of the same or similar model as what we've been doing for five plus years. Historic tax credits, historic renovations, apartments, and now the Opportunity Zone. So yeah, we've launched it. It's, there's been a lot of interest. It, again, even say Ohio to outside of Ohio, it's probably 60%, 70% from out of state, which I think is interesting and good. And yeah, there's a strong pipeline. So each of our projects is probably on the scale of say 1 million to maybe 3 million total project cost. It's kind of a smaller historic scale, some, yeah, anywhere from down from three apartments up to now 30 at one site and so with the fund I mean effectively as we raise the money we can kind of get more projects or bigger projects and at that scale there are tons of projects that we could do and I think we could pretty easily relatively and effectively deploy 10 million dollars over the next year and it's just kind of a matter now of, of putting all that the funds together and doing all the due diligence and getting the projects going
0: is that your target raise for the fund 10 million dollars or are you looking for a different number yeah it, it's capped at 10 million what was the minimum investment? 50,000. 50,000. Okay. So you're pairing historic tax credits with opportunity zones for your opportunity zone fund. You've been doing historic tax credits for a while. It's part of your model as you've mentioned once or twice. I'm curious if you have any numbers you can share with us. What type of impact exactly does that combination of historic tax credits plus the opportunity zone tax incentive due to investment returns in your properties typically
1: Yeah, probably totally rough numbers that if we just took one of these historic buildings, did the same exact thing and didn't have any tax credits or opportunity zone, it's probably, it's profitable. Certainly like the rents make money, they're good projects, they'll gain value. And that's probably in the range of like maybe 8% annual or 10% annual return to investors. So no real tax incentives, just kind of the project of itself. Uh, The tax credits are, are pretty special, especially here in Ohio, because they're pretty easy to turn into cash. So as soon as the project is done, basically 45% of your project cost comes out as cash. So that's going to be a majority or uh, maybe up to hundred percent of your equity or 60, 70, 80%, depending on how much you can get for those credits. And so you, you can get all most of your equity out when the project is done from this tax incentive. It's not even based on refinance. It's not based on selling the property. It's not really based on the market at all. You just you get it from the tax credit. You know, that's pretty powerful. And that probably takes you from, let's say, the 8% or 10% annual return, maybe up to 15, 16, 17, high teens, say, annual return. So that's the tax credit piece. And then if you add in the opportunity zone, that really depends on capital gains of the investor, how long we're going to hold the properties and all that. But you're probably adding points to the annual return and that a lot of that gain, or maybe all of it could be tax-free. That's pretty powerful, just depending on over 10 years, what the appreciation in the market is and paying them the loan and all that. I mean, that's a potentially a pretty massive win. And also even just delaying it for five years, if you invest in the fund and then don't have to pay property capital gains tax on it, you're basically, you know, investing that money whatever for free. That all the our returns, if we're getting a fifteen percent annual return on the project, you know, that's gonna be effectively the money growing at fifteen percent a year where otherwise it would have been had already come out as tax when you invested.
0: So That last part, I like to liken to an interest-free loan from Uncle Sam, effectively. But it's even better than that because you are getting an investment return on it, too. Now, of course, there is a little bit of tax rate risk involved there, which is somewhat concerning for some investors. But yeah, suffice it to say that deferral benefit actually is fairly substantial just in and of itself, not to mention the huge benefit of escaping tax-free after disposing of the property after your 10-year hold
1: yeah the capital gains you would be paying now compared to investing that in something else that's effectively free money. so whatever your you know capital gains tax rate is, effectively investing that for free, and then whatever the returns of the project are, you're getting that in free money. So if it's fifteen percent or eighteen or twenty or twenty five you know or even ten, whatever it is, you're effectively getting that free relative to another investment.
0: yep and it's hard to pinpoint exactly how much these tax credits and particularly the o z benefit will impact returns because there's a lot of assumptions that have to be made regarding appreciation of the property and where capital gains tax rates are headed and what your current capital gains tax rate is. But suffice it to say, yeah, I like that concept of free money essentially because it really is a lot of free money that you're playing with. So you can do quite a bit of good work with it in terms of getting a pretty juicy return. Yeah. And I think
1: there are a lot of assumptions to make in all this. And I think the dangerous ones especially to make are how much is the property value going to grow? What's the market look like? What are the rents six years from now, it's, all that's pretty much impossible to estimate. And so returns returns offered are, I don't know, somewhat made up. But you know, ones that you can count on are, well, if you you were going to pay 20% capital gains tax today and now you're not, and also you have this tax credit, which is definite and independent of the market, there's risk in it for sure, but there's much less market risk. You're sort of like baking in or hopefully guaranteeing some of those returns
0: yep yep understood that makes sense and what have been some of your biggest opportunity zone challenges so far you started the fund earlier this year you've been doing this for a while this type of investing but with the opportunity zone piece specifically what have been some of your biggest challenges
1: yeah the main purpose of the program is probably also the most annoying part or worst part is uh, you know you're defined in time and you're defined in location so the location piece is relatively quite arbitrary, even here in Cincinnati, from one street to the next one, one building, and we actually have two buildings on the same street. One is in an opportunity zone and one's not, and that clearly couldn't really be based on sort of income or poverty levels, just, it was just based on kind of census tracts, and so that, that can be frustrating because there might be great properties that come along and they might even fit our kind of tax credits and our profile of buildings we're looking for and are excited about, but they might be just outside of an opportunity zone and uh, that can be kind of limiting. And then, yeah, the timing piece to, to have sort of a, a long-term hold, to have a five-year and even especially 10-year-plus hold, you could potentially miss some really great opportunities to sell, to get liquidity for the investors and for me, for us. So that can be challenging, too. And obviously, both of those are surmountable, but, but they can be
0: annoying, I guess. Yeah, that's fair to say. I think the some of the requirements, the compliance requirements of the program are a little bit rigid, and your point is well taken that some of the census-tracked boundaries are a little bit arbitrary, I guess, or inconveniently placed. Sometimes they got to be drawn somewhere, I guess. But that's interesting. You've got two buildings next to each other. One's in a zone, one isn't. You know, I hear stories like that all the time. And it can be quite frustrating. I agree with you there. How do you see the future of the Opportunity Zone marketplace evolving as the years tick by here leading up to um, that 2026 sunset date? And, uh, and what do you see for your fund in particular?
1: Yeah, so I, w- I would think as we get closer, I mean, to some degree, I guess the investment gets less attractive if, if you're deferring for five or seven years, you know, especially like a step-down basis, that's more attractive than two or three years. So, so maybe it gets a little less interesting there. We don't know what will happen, I guess, with capital gains tax rates, people having more capital gains, whatever's going on in the market, people maybe more worried about the market that those gains aren't not going to increase forever, and so it might be a good time to kind of pull out and invest. So yeah, so I think it's good timing. I think now is, is probably a good time. I mean, two years ago was a great time. And, and I think that'll continue for a couple of years. And as we get closer to, to 2026, I'm not sure if they'll kind of continue to be the opportunities and funds or what they look like.
0: Well, <laughs> the only time will tell, right? None of us has a crystal ball that works particularly well. So we'll find out as time passes. Well, just to bring it full circle now, John, I, we're you're talking about at the beginning of the show, what you're doing in terms of historic renovation and you're layering opportunity zones on top of historic tax credits. I want to ask you a basic question before we end the episode today. What do you like so much about historic renovation and historic preservation of these properties that you're investing in, in Cincinnati?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. It certainly started out as a passion thing, just liking old buildings, history, architecture. We we're also the general contractor on our project. So we've been pretty heavily involved in the, on the construction side. And I think having an appreciation for construction just the way that things are built also gives you an appreciation of kind of old buildings, how well and how beautifully they were done, you know, a hundred plus years ago when they had way less technology. You can imagine kind of project management and architecture and engineering and all that in the late 1800s. So I love that piece of it. I think it's it's really cool, special and important to be kind of preserving these buildings, to, to be doing a good job of it. And that's the good part of the uh, historic tax credits is they're effectively incentivizing you to even do like a higher level of historic preservation. And so the money is good, but also the renovation should be good as well. So it's cool. I think business to be in, you know, real estate in general is fun. But then if you can kind of fix up these cool buildings and, and make them cool again, that's really special. And the Opportunity Zone has kind of only added fuel to that. So.
0: Yeah, I, I love old buildings myself. They don't definitely don't make them like that anymore <laughs> in most places. Well, keep up the good work, John. I wish you nothing but the best of luck. Before we go today, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and Kunst? Yeah, so our our website
1: is uh, kunst.us, K-U-N-S-T dot U-S, the United States. That's probably the best place, just our website. You can see kind of our billing, learn more about us. And then, uh, yeah, I'm also fairly active on Twitter. It's just J.J. Blatchford, J-J-B-L-A-T-C-H-F-O-R-D. So, yeah, either of those would be great.
0: Fantastic. And for our listeners out there today, as always, they will have show notes for today's episode on the Opportunity Zones database website. You can find those show notes at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And there you'll find links to all of the resources that John and I discussed on today's show. I'll be sure to link to kunst.us as well as John's Twitter account. John, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jimmy. I appreciate it as well. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.